Hi, you're listening to me talking about revision because you haven't revised. I didn't mean to attack you so personally in the morning, but hey, good morning. Uh, today we're going to be talking about approaches in psychology, namely starting off with the origins of psychology. What? Okay. Wilhelm Wundt, uh, Wundt upon a time, he started um, this little thing called psychology and uh, broke it off from what was known as philosophy and developed it as a science. Uh, this involves breaking down behaviors into basic elements. Uh, introspection was his chosen weapon of choice. Uh, he worked by asking individuals to exchange in a task and then reflect the mental processes that they were performing. Uh, and this, you know, established general theories about mental processes. So, you know, he's really interested about, you know, processes. Uh, next up, the emergence of psychology as a science. Uh, scientific psychology used empirical methods. So that's stuff that you can test by knowing that it is there. You know, research methods. Think about that. Uh, assumptions of determinism, of predictability. And the scientific method to use uh, methods that are objective, systematic, and replicable. Again, think research methods. Um, so this means uh, that you know it, it, replication means that the results are acceptable and true because you can uh, replicate it. Um, scientific method also includes the development of theories that can explain the result and constant testing and refining. Uh, again, you know, just uh, more little fancy schmancy words going on. Evaluation, um, you know, unreliable, really, you know, you're asking people to, like, ob observe on themselves and what they're thinking. It's like, you know, how, how really generalizable and uh, reliable is that? Um, so it's been, you know, called non-observable responses is what he uh, relied upon. Furthermore, scientific approach tests assumptions about behavior by selling causality and correcting theories. Um, so, you know, cause-effect relationship, think about that. Um, not all psychologists believe in human behavior. Whoa, it's the police outside. Uh, not all psychologists believe that human behavior be explored using scientific methods. Um, humanistic approach, good example of this. They're like, you know what, eh, science, no. Um, yeah, so think about that. Next up, behaviorist approach. Whoa, behavior, what is it? What is it? I behave, you behave, a lot of people don't behave, but behaviorist approach, what do they believe? So. Humans born as a blank slate once upon a time, and then Bob Ross came and painted on it. Um, no, but yes, uh, we're born as a blank slate, uh, and behavior is learned and um, kind of copied through two main things, classical conditioning and operant conditioning. Classical and opera, two things that go well in a theater. Um, classical conditioning, let's talk about Pavlov. Um, so... He had dogs, um, you know, as, as most of you probably do, but he did something funky with them. Um, so, talk about conditioning. Mainly, you have an unconditioned um, stimulus pairing, uh, you know, leading to an unconditioned response, uh, like dog food, saliva. Uh, and you pair that with a neutral stimulus, like a bell. And, you know, you know, you do that a couple of times, and bingo, bango, bongo, you've got yourself a conditioned stimulus and a conditioned response. How cool is that? Uh, okay, so what do we think about this? Well, you know, it's uh, been applied to therapy, you know, treatment of phobias, think about that, the classical condition, uh, um, you know, sensitive desensitization, um, stuff like that. Um, and, yeah, so it, it can only really be appropriate for some forms of learning, uh, so concept of preparedness, uh, as talked about by Seligman, you really don't need to know this, but, you know, you want to throw in some flair if you really, like, have too much to learn. Um, Operant conditioning is based on experimental work. Again, that's that's good. Man, you know what? It's good. Next up, operant conditioning. Ooh, this is, you know, the other one. Uh, brought by Skinner. Skinner's rats. Um, yeah, so unlike Pavlov, he had other taste in pets. 
Um, so I stuck them in a box, and uh, you know you probably know a lot about that already. But um, the main things are positive and negative reinforcement, uh, mainly the rat uh, pressing on a lever to stop uh, you know being electrocuted uh, by an electrified box, or pressing on the lever to receive a food pellet, which is positive reinforcement uh, and negative reinforcement being um, the electrocution. Um, also, punishment is the third. Um, thing that he can like observe, which is you know you get punished for something bad that you do, and yeah you, you know you you stop. Um, okay, so a quick recap: uh, classical conditioning, uh, you know, condition stimulus uh, um, and things like that. Operant conditioning, positive reinforcement, negative reinforcement, and uh, punishment. Okay, so that's about it. Um, and then social learning theory, big next topic here: social learning, learning from socials. Uh, okay, so, Bandura, as we know him well, and his Bobo doll experiment. Um, yeah, I guess he experimented with Bobo dolls. Um, but no. So, stuck a bunch of kids in a room with... <laughs> okay, this sounds bad. He um, experimented with children um, by placing them in a, <laughs> in a room um, and with a Bobo doll and observed their behavior as they played with toys and um, they had a model go in and um, uh, kind of behave aggressively towards the doll in, in one group and in the other group they behave kindly towards uh, the Bobo doll and what they found is that kids who observed the behavior of the aggressive uh, model towards the Bobo doll actually um, kind of redid this behavior, imitated this behavior um, based off of model and imitation. Uh, for, furthermore, there's also vicarious reinforcement uh, based off of this um, kind of identification uh, with the model and uh, uh, kind of uh, repeating and imitating it, which is that they learn about the likely consequences of behaviors by observing others. Uh, for example, uh, your brother, I don't know, cleans out the hamster cage and gets a slice of cake for it. Um, and, you know, so you're like, oh, you know, that's good. I might clean out the hamster cage. They can get, you know, a slice of cake. Um, yeah, okay, so that's um, mainly, you know, Bender for that. Um, yeah, next up, evaluation and discussion of this. Uh, so social learning theory has some good applications uh, where understanding criminal behavior um, is, is quite interesting. Uh, also, research support for identification, learning more effective from um, similar than dissimilar model. Uh, Fox and Balenson um, are the people who thought about that. Um, but there is also a problem with causality, criticism of a view of criminal behavior due to exposure to deviant models. Um, yeah, so this was further um, experimented uh, uh, later on, uh, as we see kind of like uh, attachment and things. Okay, moving swiftly on uh, to the second half of the page that I'm looking at. Cognitive approach. Cognitive, yes. The mind, people. The mind. It's alive. Study of internal mental processes. Mental processes cannot be studied directly, so they must be inferred. Schemas help organize and interpret information. Uh, this is based off of what we already uh, experience and know. For example, you know, uh, you people have been to the library. Actually, it's, you know, it's 2021, so like, you know, libraries, obsolete. But imagine you go to the library, and you know that it's... Um, Quiet. You're meant to be quiet in there. So you walk in, and based on your experience of constantly being in the library uh, or not, uh, you know to be quiet. That's just you know you don't even think about it. It just happens. Uh, so that's a schema. You know you're kind of jumbling over information based off of previous experience. They fill a gap in absence of full information. 
Um, yeah, so theoretical models are simplified representations based on current evidence. Um, yeah, so those are theoretical models and computer model models of mental processes are analogies of information processing where information is inputted through senses encoding into memory. Um, you know, the word coding, you know, should ring some bells um, because computer, hence computer model. Whoa, really? I did not know that. Thank you, Magnus. Um, yeah, so it's based off a computer. The only issue with this is that uh, you cannot really compare the mind to a computer. This is evaluation, write this down, uh, because um, computers cannot forget and that is the the main thing. So we're not exactly our, our, our brains are processed like uh, like like a computer in terms of coding and storing. Although you know retrieval and uh, words as such are um, actually accurate, um, and this led to the emergence of uh, cognitive neuroscience, um, which is the use of neuroimaging techniques to study the brain. Uh, Broca, Broca, uh, Broca, uh, him, um, he you know the Broca's area and um, kind of uh, finding the area of um, speech production in the brain and um, furthermore like fMRIs and uh, ways to study the brain in that sense. Um, yeah, so it has evaluation points uh, like everything else. Um, it is very uh, applicable to psychopathology. Uh, we talk about um, CBD and other uh, types of uh, therapy. And it's also scientific, very scientific. I mean, you know, it's cognitive, you know, you use fMRIs, EEGs, um, all that. And, um, yeah, so, it, like I mentioned before, there's many differences between computer processing and human processing. Um, and it also ignores emotion and motivation, um, which is irrelevant to a computer, but, you know, not a human. Um, and they might lock, lock, might lack ecological validity. Most research use tasks that are relatively meaningless in real life settings. Okay, and that's cognitive and sticking with the highly scientific realm, we're moving on to biological approach. The biological approach influences on behavior. Um, this believes that our uh, behavior is, is based off of biological factors such as hormones and genes and phenotypes. Um, yeah, so again, you know, this is ringing bells of determinism, people. So they believe that genes carry out the instruction for a particular characteristic from one generation to the next. Think um, the guy who thought about um, uh, evolution, Darwin, Darwin, that's his name, Darwin. Think about Darwin. Um, you see, again, I'm not probably going to be very Darwinistic because I'll be, you know, breeded out of, of society in the genotype for not having remembered that. Uh, relative role of genes on environment, uh, nature versus nurture debate, um, biological approach, really kind of things to nurture about this. Genotype is a genetic code written in an individual's G uh, DNA. A phenotype is a physical manifestation of this inherited information. Hence, a phenotype. Um, is actually kind of like the nurture debate because they're affected by the environment of the individuals, hence two twins. There's a lot of twin studies in this, by the way. Um, uh, they can have the same genotype, but the phenotypes depend on the environment, hence they don't. Uh, they might not look exactly the same or uh, you know have the same personality, for example. Um, it also talks about uh, heritability, the amount of uh, variability in a trait within a population attributed to genetic differences, um, and yeah, uh, you know, a lot of that hormones and serotonin as uh, inhibitory neurotransmitter uh, things are produced in the endocrine cells, stimulate targeted cells, evolution of behavior through natural selection. Um, just, you know, yeah, you're biopsychology, just think biopsychology. Um, so, yes, it's scientific. Good. Um, it's 
you know, believes in clear predictions, which can be tested, and it is, unfortunately, reductionist, because it believes that a behavior is based off of kind of hormone uh, balances and imbalances that we have, um, you know, in our, in our body. But it also led to, which is good, um, you know, treatments of um, kind of uh, psychological issues um, through drug therapies. I think SSRIs, benzodiazepine, uh, psychopathology covers this uh, quite in depth. Okay, and moving on to the fun stuff, the psychodynamic approach. Um, yeah, I could talk a, a lot about this man, but I'm afraid we have not a lot of time. Okay, skip that joke over. Freud's theory of psychoanalysis. The unconscious mind controls many of our everyday activities. Um, so the un unconscious, think of it as an iceberg. Freud used an iceberg analogy of uh, the conscious the um, pre-conscious and the uh, unconscious, that is uh, the, the majority of the iceberg, um, and that, that actually influences our day-to-day -day tasks and behavior without us necessarily actually knowing that. Um, yeah, so he talked a lot about the id, the ego, and the superego, which are the three um, you know, uh, parts that you know, make up um, our behavior. Um, the id is solely unconscious, um, and it's present from birth. Uh, immediate gratification contains the libido, the sex drive. Um, the ego, it develops at age three. Uh, it's the reality principle uh, between the id and the superego. Delays gratification of the id. Um, you know, it's between the preconscious and the conscious. Um, so again, you know, floating up there. Morality principle is the superego. Develops around you know age five. Uh, between conscious and pre-conscious, um, and it's the internalization of social rules. Um, there's two kind of like subsections to this. So within the conscience, there's uh, the internalization of societal rules, and there's the ego ideal, uh, which is what a person strives uh, to be. Further on, we talk about congruence uh, in the humanistic approach, and this is actually quite close to that. Um, a bit more on the unconscious, it's inaccessible to conscious thought, uh, hence unconscious. And it governs our behavior and personality, fears, selfish needs, immoral surges, suppresses memories, um, and again, the iceberg templates, um, and they reveal themselves through parapraxies, or Freudian slips, and dreams, uh, mainly. Okay, so, next up, we're going to be talking about repression, uh, which are defense mechanisms. So, you know, write that at the top of your page. Um, so repression is the unconscious blocking of painful thoughts and impulses rather than staying quiet in the unconscious These repressed thoughts and impulses continue to influence our behavior without the individual being aware of the reasons behind their behavior For example a child who is abused by a parent may have no recollection of these events, but has trouble forming relationships So again is that our uh, things that we experience are repressed and but actually influence our behavior in the in the long run denial is plain refusal to accept reality, um, to avoid having to deal with the painful feelings, like you get fired, you still show up at work the next day pretending that nothing happens, um, you know, acting as if the traumatic event never happened. Um, displacement is the last defense mechanism, uh, which is redirecting thoughts and feelings, uh, usually hostile ones, in situations where the person feels unable to express them in the presence of the person they should be directed towards. Instead, they take it out on uh, a helpless victim or object. Think, uh, had a terrible day at work, you come home and you, you know, scream at your parents uh, or, or, or something. Um, yeah. 
Okay, next up, the psychosexual stages of development. Psychosexual, just like we like them. Oral stage, <laughs> next up, uh, it's zero to two years uh, develops, and this is sexual stimulation. The mouth is a focal point of this, um, and it's the development of the id. Uh, next up, the anal stage, two to three years, and it's um, the kind of awareness of societal demands. Um, you know, Freud talks about anally retentiveness, which is not actually giving up to these societal demands. Um, and, um, yeah, so this kind of culminates, so the acceptance of the stage is through toilet training, and this is the development of the ego, uh, kind of, our id is being challenged by this society's demands. Next up, the phallic stage, which is three to six years, um, so sexual energy is focused in the genitals, um, in this stage, and you see the formation of the Oedipus and the Electra complex, um, the Oedipus complex, um, being that... Uh, boys feel that they need um, kind of sexual gratification for their mothers, and they see them as the first available um, kind of sexual being in their in their lives, uh, and hence they feel resentful of their father, uh, who then is is the sole thing blocking them from um, um, you know kind of achieving a sexual relationship um, with their mother. But but later on, they um, get around. To this, at the end of the kind of around the six-year mark, they, they get around to actually uh, liking uh, the father because they think that uh, you know instead of being in competition with them, and they think that they might castrate them, um, so they can't be with the mother. They're like, you know what? Better be on their good side. For women, this uh, comes up as the Electra complex, which um, they call penis envy. It's basically um, girls are like, whoa, what? I don't have a penis, um, and then get really, like, mad at, the, at their dad for it, because they think that um, the dad uh, castrated them, um, which, yeah, so, I don't know, make of that what you want. Next up, uh, latent stage, 6 to 12 years old, mastery of the world around, uh, so this is when you really kind of, like, uh, um, pardon my French, uh, getting your shit together. Um, conflicts and issues of phallic stage are repressed. Um, and this is generally when the first relationships of uh, kind of childhood form. Uh, general stage is next up at 12 years old, and this is the fixing of sexual energy in the genitals. Uh, and this is directs itself towards intercourse uh, in adult life. Uh, so the libido uh, kind of you know fixes again, like I said, in the genitals. Um, Okay, next up, uh, pardon the slight interruption, guys, uh, I think that is actually it for Freud. Wow, okay, next up, humanistic approach. Um, basic assumptions of this is they were like, you know what, free will. Um, they, they saw everything else as being too deterministic, uh, such as um, the psychodynamic approach, saying that you know our, our unconscious governs our behaviors and we cannot even be born without an unconscious. Uh, the humanistic approach says, uh, instead of focusing on the origins of issues, it focuses more on where the person wants to be in the in the in the future and looks at the person as a whole. Uh, and it's it's holistic uh, the approach and it refutes science uh, in the sense that it, a lot of behavior and um, how people act cannot be defined purely on a scientific or biological basis, but more in the ways that they um, act themselves. Two main thinkers in this uh, is Carl Rogers and Abraham Maslow. In the 1950s, um, they came up with this 
awesome little thing called the hierarchy of needs, goals, and motivations. Um, so we'll, let's start off at the bottom of it. First, you have the physiological um, kind of uh, stage, which is breathing, food, water, sex, homeostasis, uh, excretion, the basic needs of kind of human uh, existence. Uh, next up is safety, security of the body and development of resources, morality, family, health, and property. Um, love and belonging is the next stage with friendships, family, and sexual intimacy being uh, the main thing that we seek to be uh, um, accepted. Um, and then esteem is next up, self-esteem, confidence of achievement, respect of others, respect by others. And if all of these are, are, are achieved, um, so you achieve one, you get to the next stage. And if all of these are achieved, you reach self-actualization, which is at the top of the triangle, which is morality, creativity, spontaneity, problem-solving, lack of prejudice, acceptance of fact. Um, yeah, that's cool. So, let's talk a bit more in depth about this. Um, so, yeah, philosophy. Yeah, physiological needs uh, include emotional needs, such as need for love and friendship and uh, intimacy. Safety uh, include feelings of physiological uh, safety and um, economic, too. Um, so, you know, next we're going to be talking about um, congruence and incongruence, which are two um, kind of vital um, components of, of, of feeling um, accepted and, and loved. Um, to reach a final stage of self-actualization. So if the person is, is detached or far away from uh, what they hope to be or, or their ideal self, we call this a state of incongruence um, because they're not, you know, they, they're not um, their ideal self and there's an ideal self-image um, and congruence with the similarity about the ideal self and the self-image uh, when they're together. Um, and, you know, conditions of worth can be applied through um, conditional love, which is, for example, you know, I, I'll love you if uh, you do this, if you go on like a keto diet, if you, uh, I don't know, climb the Andes or something. So it's like, you know, m meaning that you, you have to live up to these standards and these conditions to feel a sense of worth and love. Uh, and then there's... Um, yeah, a unconditional love, which actually helps to achieve a state of congruence because you feel like you're loved no matter what you are, um, and you know hopefully you are your ideal self. Um, yeah, so it is also humanistic, uh, believing that the humans have a desire to grow and create and love and all that hippie stuff. Um, yeah. Okay, so I think that's about it for the humanistic approach. Um, and next up, we're going to be, um, you know, comparing these, the, comparing these bad boys. Yeah, well, yeah, approaches. Okay, the behaviorist approach. Uh, deterministic, very. Uh, external forces of environment determine the likelihood of behavior occurring. Nature versus nurture, it is nurture. Because environment shapes our behavior, consequences, and actions. Born is a blank slate. Um... Psychology is a science, yes, it's highly objective and experimental-based uh, approach. And it is, um, you know, uh, applicable to the real world because it's successful, successfully led to treatments such as um, SD and flooding for the treatment of phobias. Social learning theory, 
is kind of, yeah, you know what, it's kind of deterministic. Um, observation of models, experiences, uh, and our learning, but free will allows us to choose what to apply, uh, as in you know, the models that we choose to follow. Psychology as a science, yes, uh, it's highly objective and experimentally based approach. Uh, think of Bandura and his Bobadil study. Real world application, yeah, uh, it's applied in schooling, actually, um, in, in terms of uh, modeling and uh, and so on. Cognitive approach, deterministic, yeah, kind of. Um, thought processes influence our behavior. Um, you know, we have some degree of control in paying attention. In a sense, you know, what do we do, pay attention to? Uh, for that to go into you know short-term memory and all that, um, it is you know very uh, scientific to a degree, at least. Uh, most uh, propositions can be tested. However, they can't be studied directly, so models are based on inference um, instead of a direct testing. But, you know, cognitive neuroscience as a development of it um, is, is very scientific. Um, and it's led to effective therapies such as CBT and REBT. Um, see psychopathology for more on that. Biological approach, deterministic, very. Uh, physiological and genetic factors control behaviors, genetics, um, neurotransmitters, and hormones, for example, so that all determines our behavior. Nature versus nurture, nurture. Neural and endocrine systems are innate, could argue that nurture to an extent, uh, because of phenotypes, uh, right, the environment uh, shapes how these are expressed. Uh, psychology is a science, yes, yes, it is, very scientific. Um, factors like uh, neurotransmitters can be studied experimentally, think uh, kind of EEGs and stuff. Real-world application led to drug treatments uh, such as SSRIs, benzodiazepine, all that you know, uh, depression treatment uh, drugs, and uh, psychodynamic approach, deterministic. Yeah, uh, unconscious factors control behavior, tripartite personality. We can't get rid of it. Um, nature versus nurture, both. Unconscious drives our behavior as well as ego Com um, conflicts, but experience um, kind of uh, uncodifies these. Um, yeah, psychology is a science, negative, no, largely based on case studies uh, and subjective experience. Uh, think of uh, kind of was it, Little M, I think it was the name of the child that he based uh, a lot of his work on. Real world application, yeah, psychoanalysis uh, is, is the widely accepted and used scientific method to study um, kind of, uh, phobias and um, kind of mental issues. So that's good. And humanistic um, determinism. Free will. No, it's not deterministic. What are you talking about? It's free will. We control our behavior and fate um, is the main thing about the humanistic approach. They, you know, like, we're like, you know what? Determinism, ugh, down the garbage. Nature versus nurture, both. Uh, drive to self-actualization is innate, uh, but the conditions of worth are uh, based off of nurture. Psychology is a science, negative. Argues that scientific methods are unsuitable for studying complex human behavior. Again, they rejected the scientific approach. Real-world application, yes, treatments such as a person context therapy as another set, uh, uh, type of uh, of therapy, and also led to um, you know ec economic things. Uh, the Maslow's um, triangle is is often used in um, business uh, to talk about the workplace and uh, things as such, and that brings us off and tops us off at the end of um, approaches. So thank you.
for having sat along for this 27 minutes and 50 seconds. And um, yeah, I'll, I'll be making more of these if they ever come out. And uh, you can you know turn on the podcast now unless I uh, keep on talking. You probably will. Um, so thank you for listening to WQNR one uh, six hundred Brookline, Massachusetts AM. Join in every weekday. And yep, yeah, okay, thank you. <laughs> All right, I better stop now. Goodbye.